This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by one of my co-hosts, JT English. Hey, JT. What's up, boss? Excited to be with you, Kyle. Hey, man. Excited to be with you, too. Like we said last episode, unfortunately, at the time of recording this, we're without our sister, Jen, who we deeply love, deeply miss. But part of being real-life friends is that life happens uh, when you're real-life friends and not just podcast partners. And Jen is just attending to some loss in her family during this season. And so uh, you got team hashtag... JT and Kyle. Um, hashtag. I'm just so glad you didn't say Theo Bros. I was going to. That's okay. what I was going to do. Don't do that. That's not <laughs> what we are. <laughs> I was going to do it, and then I walked away from it, but I'm glad that you caught it. Walk away. Um, walk a thousand miles away. Stay away I, from that term. I feel I feel seen by you. Uh, thank you. But yes, we love Jen. Uh, we love her. She'll be sorely missed. If, Like I said at the end of last episode, if by the end of this episode you feel like something is missing... It's because it was, yeah. uh, and uh, we're, we don't want to walk away from that, nor do we want to act like that's not the case. We, we, we built this podcast together a certain way because we felt like things were better together, uh, and life happens. I'm sure there, that would be the case if JT was gone, if I was gone, uh, and uh, we're grateful that we have that kind of foundation together, and we're excited to jump into our topic today. Yeah. All right, so Romans 10. We, uh, we did a couple episodes on Romans 9, then we panned out, looked at the doctrine of salvation across Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Uh, and today we're jumping into Romans 10, focusing specifically on verses 1 through 13. And so I'm going to have JT read Romans 10, 1 through 13. So JT, take it away. I want to jump in. Hey, before I jump in, this isn't a plug, but it is a note. I've been using my ESV Bible for like a decade. I love it. I'm jumping into the CSB. Let's see how it sounds. You ready for it? Yep. CSB. Here we go. Romans chapter 10, 1 to 13. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is not for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They've not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everybody who believes. Since Moses sends the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes by faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? That is to bring Christ down or will go to heaven in the, into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. This is my favorite, one of my favorite verses, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Boom. Love it. CSB, ESV, both great, great translations. That's right. Two thumbs, two thumbs up for the CSB and ESV. Uh, and good Bible reading, Bible study methods will tell you, read from a variety of faithful translations. Yep. Always use two uh, or three. Always use two or three, and the ESV and CSB should be in your mix because they're good. Uh, so Romans 10 kind of begins similar to Romans 9. Romans 9, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart because I want you to know about the gospel. Romans 10, 1. 
brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Hmm. So Paul's kind of come back to where he was in Romans 9, 1 through 3 here. He's saying, listen, I want my brothers. I want Israel. I want my kinsmen according to the flesh is how he says it in Romans 9. I want them to be saved. And then in verse 2, we get a very kind of interesting idea here. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What is that? What's a, what's that? They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. It appears that Paul seems to be calling into question. He's saying, listen, there's a real urgency and fervency here, but it lacks a kind of truth support. It seems like they're very fervent and urgent about some of these things, um, but maybe they're missing the point or they've overemphasized or they don't have the right kind of substantive argument that they think they do to be fervent and urgent about those things. I mean, this is one of those moments where let's just, I feel like Jen would have a mic drop moment here. This is is her wheelhouse. Like they're trying to love a God they don't know. And we can only love and know God appropriately when those two things are in conjunction. And so this is one of the things that I mean, this is when I think about Kyle, of course, we we should and can talk about the context of this passage in particular as it relates to Rome. But one of my concerns about American evangelicalism as a whole is that we have a whole lot of zeal with a whole lot less knowledge. And this is something that we should take Absolutely. in some sense comfort in, not comfort that we should stay there, but like realize this isn't only a problem for American evangelicalism. This is also a problem for the church in Rome. And Paul is going to help us diagnose this, think through this, medicate it, get back to a place of health. But one of the things that should be concerning for us is as Christians, people who claim to follow Jesus, one of our greatest problems, like zealousness should not be seen as maturity. Like passion, desire should not be seen as the height of maturity. Paul sees zealousness and knowledge, like knowledge that results in zealousness, zealousness that's according to knowledge as being two sides of the same coin. And here you have Paul speaking to a Jewish community who claimed to be following Jesus. Hey, you have zeal, you have passion, you have like umph. You've got like the go-to, like you've got an engine going about zealousness for God and who he is and what he's doing in the world but you have no idea what he, who he is or what he's doing in the world. And it's, you know, it's important too, because when we hear knowledge, you might just think book learning, but look at what he says in verse three. What's his example of this? For being ignorant of the righteousness of God mm. and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So Paul's appeal to them on knowledge isn't just this appeal of like, hey, you guys read a few more books. That's not what he's saying, although book reading can be very helpful. And I'm sure reflection on scripture is a very valuable way. You're sure? You're sure? You're sure? I'm sure. Okay, good. <laughs> did, I, did I stutter? or are you? No, you, you, know, you were like, I'm sure scripture reading is valuable. Like, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's my bumper sticker. I think scripture reading is probably helpful most of the time. <laughs> that's but, the, you're right. That's not what he's saying. No, he's not. The, but the example here is basically like, listen, knowledge of God will impact the way that you live out and submit to the righteousness of the God who you are coming to know. That's exactly when, pa- right. when Packer said in Knowing God, uh, what you think about God is the most important thing, right? I- I'm butchering the quote. I think it's Tozer. So Tozer said one of the most important thoughts you'll ever think is what you think about God because what yeah. you think about God will determine every part of your existence. Exactly. So when we think about knowledge, it's not segmented from like action, 
That's not how the Bible's thinking about it. It's like, no, they have a zeal. That zeal is not firmly rooted in a accurate and substantive knowledge. And it's not just impacting their uh, knowing, it's impacting their living. And namely, as it relates to righteousness. Well, and that's where he goes in verse four, is he, yeah. he says, for Christ is the end of the law. So here you have a bunch of people who are zealous about the law, but are ignorant of it. And the irony of that is their zeal has not resulted in greater knowledge, but greater ignorance. And again, if I could place a bumper sticker on American evangelicalism, and one of my concerns as a pastor is it's Romans chapter 10, verse 2, that we have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Well, then what does that mean? Do they know and follow Jesus? That's where Paul goes in verse four is for Christ is the end of the law. And what he means by that is, is that he is the one we should be zealous for and the one we are obedient to and knowledgeable of, that he is the logos, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, Luke chapter 24, you know, these disciples on the way to the road to Emmaus, that he's the one who then follows them and says, Hey, do you not understand that I am the one from from Moses and from the prophets and from the law that all of these things are about me? This is Paul basically saying the same thing. It does not matter how zealous you are about Bible quizzes from the Old Testament if it's not resulting in a greater knowledge, love, and zeal for me and for my kingdom. Yeah, that's exactly right. When it says Christ is the end of the law uh, for righteousness, that does not mean that the law has no consequence or relation to the Christian. Hmm. The end of the law here isn't that Jesus destroyed it. The end of the law is that Christ has fulfilled it. Those are different things. You know, Christ is the fulfillment of the law, which means the law no longer for the Christian uh, must be a tyrant. The law can now be a tutor. We're no longer constrained by the law. We're no longer um, condemned by the law, but we can. (laughs) (laughs) We're no longer condemned by the law. But, Kyle, uh, like, you have got to go into business with these like alliterations. I mean, we're no longer, it's no longer a tyrant, but a tutor. We're not condemned, but what was it? Or constrained, we're no, but we're no longer condemned or constrained. I, I was looking for a C word, though. I, I um, could tell, like you were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to force it. Um, okay. We'll get there. We'll think about it. The law is meant to help shape us and form us yeah. uh, into the life of Christ. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some you know books out right now that are unrelated to Christianity, evangelicalism about discipline. And how discipline is all about freedom, ultimately. And that's, I think, what Paul's getting at here is that we are we disciplined ourselves. We tutor ourselves under the tutelage of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of righteousness. And that is not a new law. It's actually freedom. Yep. And, and this, this new freedom is found in disciplining ourselves to zealousness about God's law, but also zealousness about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. Yep. And if almost to play this out, to kind of game this out a little bit in verses 5 through 13, we find a contrast between righteousness based on law and righteousness based on faith. I mean, for Moses, verse 5 of chapter 10, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven and going forward. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. And then goes on to talk about, listen, basically what we're getting here is a picture of righteousness based on law is not saving faith. It's not, you cannot be saved with a righteousness based on the law. It's not going to happen. 
But the righteousness that's based on faith or the righteousness that is rooted in faith is going to be one that is saving, that can change you. And how do you engage that righteousness? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Kind of feels like that's a little bit of a shorthand for the whole of the gospel, right? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. Even like thinking back about Luke's writing in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is at the pinnacle of this. And again, you got to think about Paul writing to Jews and Greeks, some whom would find ease in finding zealousness for God's law, someone who would find ease in maybe attending towards like a anti-law position. Well, we just believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter. And Paul is in some way saying, hey, pox upon both of your houses. Neither of these things are the summation of what I'm trying to say, but Jesus is the center of what I'm trying to say. He is the logos, the knowledge of God. He is the zealous one who followed God's laws perfectly. And as you place your faith in him, there's no other way to be saved. That's ultimately, I think, what he's doing here in chapter 10. And it does involve some response. It's not just, uh, the the idea here is not that righteousness based on the law required a human response and righteousness, uh, the righteousness based on faith doesn't. It's that it begins in a different place. This is the idea of confessing that Christ is Lord, believing your heart that God raised him from the dead. What we're saying there is that by saying Christ is Lord, you're saying he is the cosmic creator and redeemer of all things. To say that God raised him from the dead is to say he has triumphed over the greatest consequence of not keeping the law perfectly, Hmm. death. That's good. So the idea here is that when we confess Christ is Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead, we're not merely believing, yes, the historical evidential reality of the resurrection of Christ, though that's true. We are saying that there was only one who could conquer the fundamental consequence of failure to obey the law, which Paul has already told us in Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus is Lord. He's told us in Romans 3, everyone falls short of the glory of God. Rome, he told us that no one is righteous, no, not one. So we know we are subject to death, and that is the subjection to death because we fail the perfect standard of God, which is revealed in the law. And to say that God raised Jesus from the dead isn't merely to say, yes, I assent to the historical fact of the bodily historic resurrection of Jesus. It is to say that, but it is to say more than that, which is to say, my deliverance from the tyranny and judgment of the law can only come through one who has kept it perfectly and paid the penalty that he didn't deserve that I deserve. Right? Absolutely. A thousand percent. And and again, I, I think Paul here in, in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, I'm not sure he's trying to like bifurcate us of like head and heart in a way that yeah. sometimes we can do. And I, I, But again, I understand why we do that. That can be pastorally or ministerially helpful. But he's ultimately saying, like, with your whole heart, with your mind, with your thoughts, with your being, do you believe that all of your hope has been placed upon the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth? Because if so, then you will be saved. And so, like, I even think of – this is uh, kind of getting out of the podcast a little bit, Kyle, but, again, we're real people here, and, you know, we have our own stories. There was a time – gosh, it was – I'll shrug at the timeline here, right? It was eight years ago, I think, this Thanksgiving – we were walking through this as a church and Macy's father had just passed away. And, you know, he had passed away from esophageal cancer and he'd kind of had a long road of, of just struggling of 
sickness and treatment and radiation and chemotherapy and hospice and in God's providence, we got to spend the last several weeks of his life with him because that's right when I had taken the job at the village. He was actually diagnosed the day I accepted the job. We got a call three hours after I got the job there that he had been diagnosed with cancer and he lived in Dallas. So mm. we go back to Dallas, we get these weeks with him and we were walking through parts of this in our church in Louisville. And I remember talking about this passage in particular and it, it struck me in a new way that wasn't like intellectual ascent. Like I believe Jesus has risen from the dead and it was even more than like heart of like, oh yeah, yeah, I want Jesus to have risen from the dead. It was like, for that time, it was like guttural. And I think that's kind of what Paul is going for here is it's not just, I believe and I hope or I yeah. love. It was like, I don't have anywhere else to place my hope yeah. than in the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Like I don't have any, like, and there was moments of great joy in that season of like, we're going to get to spend eternity, 5 billion years with Macy's dad again, mm. or, 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 or like, it was also great sorrow. Death is our greatest enemy and Jesus is overcome. And why is he not back yet? But it was like this full bodied experience of if you have thrown yourself upon the mercy and grace of God and upon nothing else, then you will be saved. Like, it's like, do you have any last resorts? Do you have anything else that you're turning to? And of course I do still too. I don't mean to say that was the moment I was saved. I just mean to say like, we have these lived experience of saying like, I have no other hope but Jesus. Mm. It's not in my law keeping if I'm Jewish. It's not in God's overwhelming abundant grace if I'm Gentile and don't want to keep God's law. It's like, have you just thrown yourself upon God's mercy to transform me back into the right image bearer that he created me to be? And that of course is a, a lifelong experience. It's not just... You know, I have like these moments in my mind of like, oh yeah, I remember that sermon or that day or that song or coming back after a service and just weeping with Macy, hoping in the resurrection of the dead. But it's like these, it's like these seasons of God continually reminding you, your only hope is in Jesus. Your only hope is in the resurrection of the dead. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is seminary president Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Oh, man. I think one of the things that is um, so challenging about hoping in resurrection is how often we avoid reflection on the scourge of death, how quickly we put it out of sight. And I think that 
those who have found themselves near to the enemy that is death find the hope of the resurrection palpable in a mm-hmm. way that I think uh, brings a kind of uh, real vibrancy to their life with Christ. Yeah. Well, and there's been some evangelical theologians that I know you're aware of, Kyle, who've talked about this specifically, of how we we kind of intend, I say we, corporate humanity, corporate kind of American 21st century modern West people, intentionally like put visors up so that we don't see death. That could be, we no longer live with our grandparents and our kids anymore. It's like our kids don't grow up with aging grandparents. They grew up in the nursing home over there. That's not a a moral reflection on ourselves, but it is a reality that for thousands of years, families were living together. And a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old would watch his aging parents or her aging parents care for their aging mom and dad, and they would watch someone die. And that had a real formative impact. Mm. on centuries of people. And then even you think about churches, not just in the American evangelical tradition, but worldwide churches, a lot of their structures, like the way that they would set up a church, would be you walked into the church and you walked out of the church through what? A graveyard. You know, like you walked in knowing I'm worshiping the resurrected Jesus and you walked out knowing I'm worshiping the resurrected Jesus and there is my husband's grave plot. There's my grandfather's great plot. There's my son. There's my wife. We had created a life for ourselves where death and life were front and center. And we've created a life for ourselves in the modern West where death is an afterthought. It's like, if you're going to die, you go over here to do that. If you're going to, and again, I know we're kind of spending a moment here on a, what is a tender topic? Like if you're listening to this right now, Maybe you're walking through a diagnosis or a family member is, or you recently have, or you have anxiety about the diagnosis that is coming in the future for you or for someone that you love. I want you to know Kyle and I are not talking about this in a calloused way, but in a real way where we've received, loved ones have received diagnoses. We have a sister that's walking through personal loss right now. And and it's appropriate for us now to not put it out of view, but to bring it front and center to be reminded that death will not have the last say. And if you have placed your hope in Christ, if you have believed upon him as the son of David and the son of Abraham, who has conquered Satan, sin, and death and resurrected and is resurrected over all things, then the worst thing that has ever happened to you can be conquered by resurrection from the dead. I said this to our church last Sunday, something along the lines of, I'll get the the quote wrong, but, what's the worst thing that can happen to you that a good resurrection can't fix? There is no diagnosis or job loss or relational tension and strife or physical pain or spiritual pain or emotional or physical trauma. And this does not minimize any of those things. It's actually to see them, to look them in the eye and to name them and to say that resurrection from the dead is better. Man, that's good, needed, and true. Um, In this passage, Paul says... For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What does it mean to confess with your mouth? I hear this whenever I'm walking. This is a passage that I'll go to with somebody that I'm sharing the gospel with. And they've asked me, well, what does it mean? Well, it means, like what he said in verse 9, that Jesus is Lord. And I know we think of Lord sometimes as just this easy title to affix to Jesus. Keep in mind the church in Rome, they had heard the word Lord 
a lot. Mm-hmm. And they had been told there was one Lord in Rome. And I'll tell you this, his name was not Jesus. It was Caesar. And so to say that Jesus is Lord here can feel to us like, okay, yeah, we're just saying what, like, yes, Jesus is Lord. In this moment and now, even though we don't recognize it, this is a politically charged, world-altering, life-defining phrase. If Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is, I no longer belong to myself. I belong to God in Jesus. It is a full surrender. It is a giving over of allegiance and loyalty to you. To say that Jesus is Lord is not merely to say something theological. It is to say something that is now intensely personal. He's not just God. He is your God. And you're not just going to give him lip service. You're going to give him loyalty. That mm. is very different than how we often think about, oh, Jesus is Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Right? We can kind of throw it's like kind of a throwaway phrase. It's one of his many titles. No, it's to say he is sovereign over you and over everything. Um because Jesus is Lord, uh who who was it that said it? Jesus is Lord o- over everything or Jesus is C- Lord over nothing. It was C.S. Lewis. Yeah, there we go. I have uh, no idea. I, I'm just saying oh, those quotes. Yeah. <laughs> or I think of Abraham Kuyper. Uh to say that Jesus is Lord is to look at it over all creation. Not one square inch of it that Jesus doesn't point out and cry, mine. Yeah, right? that's right. Yep. It all belongs to him, including our lives. This is why Paul later on in Romans is going to be able to say, whether we live or we die, we belong to God. Hmm. We belong to God. That's true because Jesus is Lord. So yeah. to believe uh, and to confess that Jesus is Lord is to say, I am going to have my life radically reshaped That's right. by this king. Yeah. So like we're walking through the New City Catechism. We've talked about that tool here on the podcast before. If you're unfamiliar with it, I would highly recommend it. I think you use it a little bit, Kyle, don't you? Or yeah, we, we use it. it. Okay. We use it in our family discipleship programs here. So, okay. So we're, we're using it and we're, I mean, we're, I don't know, we're on question 20, 25, something like that. But question one is what, especially the kids version is, what is our greatest hope in life and death? Yeah. The answer is that we are not our own, but belong to God. That is an entirely appropriate answer. If Paul were sitting here right now and he was talking to us about verse 13, he would say, that's right. Who is God? And of course, we've got our Trinitarianism and that's fine. But he would say, maybe a more specific answer for this church in Rome is, what is your greatest hope in life and death? It's that we are not our own, but belong to Jesus the King. And that he has bought me, purchased me, redeemed me, saved me, given me glory, redemption, sanctification, and righteousness. I don't belong to myself anymore. I don't belong to Caesar. I don't belong to my family. I don't belong to any kind of patriarchal heritage that might be given to me. I belong to Jesus, and I'll follow him anywhere he goes. So you're pointing out a really important thing here, Kyle, is like this can be used in a Romans Road presentation as it should be. But the depth of what Paul is saying here is profound for a group of people who believed there were other claims upon their life Mm. or who had lived for perhaps decades with other claims Mm. upon their life. Mm. And he's saying, you guys, there's lots of claims upon your life. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's, I mean, maybe it's Caesar. Maybe it's a Pharisee. Maybe it's a way of, maybe it's another, another discipleship program or philosopher, tutor, and rabbi. If you want to be saved, you need to give your life and yourself wholly to Jesus because there's only one king and it's him. It's good. It's good. Confess and believe. It's not just lip service. 
Right. It's at the core of who we are. And it's a public proclamation and it is a personal commitment. It is, it, I was, I was going oh for it. Oh my goodness, Kyle. I was, I was going for it. Do you um, have like your I, sermon notes right in front of you right now? I don't. Okay. Um, I don't. Because this alliteration is strong, bro. Like I, you, I, I actually won't preach Romans 10 until the spring of 2023. It's I'm a not personal commitment and public proclamation. I mean, this is yeah. good. This is good stuff. It's weird because we're now moving, you know, we've moved past where I've preached at. We're preaching Romans 1 or 6 and 7 this spring. So I, now I'm going to have to, when I'm prepping for my sermons a year from now, I'm going to have to come back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, what, what JT said was really good. I'm going to take yeah, that. Yeah, Because I've already sure. got my notes. I mean, I've got Romans 10, 13. It's a public proclamation <laughs> and public, or pri- private, what, what was it? It was a private confession and public proclamation. I got this. I'm done. There we go. Sermon's there we go. Done. You got it. Sermon's done. Yeah. And then your, your favorite verse, how, uh, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How does that square with the doctrine of election though, Mr. Reformed? I thought that was you. That's, huh? I'm trying to come up with alliteration right now. It's oh, for those yeah. who confess, who I mean, I'm not going to get there. I mean, here's the reality. And we talked about this in the last podcast. I'm, I'm reformed. I mean, I'm, I, I know you are too. And Jen is, and I think we probably agree on this basic idea but I believe in, in human responsibility. That gift of salvation is granted to us, but is matched by our confession of who Jesus is, what he has done, who we are, and our need for him. And so I think it was Charles Spurgeon. I'll get the quote wrong. He used to talk about, you know, Mr. Spurgeon, how can you believe in the doctrine of election? Does that just mean that you're going to share the gospel with the elect? And he said, you know, if the elect had, I think he said, like yellow stripes painted on their back, I would go share the gospel with them. But that's mm. not how it works. So I share mm. the gospel indiscriminate with everybody with hopes and joy that they might confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, resurrected from the dead. And so we want to proclaim and confess the lordship of Jesus to anybody who will listen to us. Evangelism is meant to be absolutely indiscriminate. We're not looking for like, I'm going to share with this kind of person at this kind of time in this kind of way. We share the gospel with anyone who believe. I saw some really cool pictures this past week of a church that I admire and love and follow and learn from regularly. It was a 94-year-old woman. Hmm. Think about that. Hmm. Think about how easy it would be after 94 years to be like, I, be- I you know, my life is fine. I've lived. I've got the wisdom that I need. Like, it'd be so easy for a 94-year-old to be like, I'm good. Like, I've raised a family. I did it okay. It was, it was imperfect, but I, be- you know, I, I, it was fine. And for her to say, oh, my goodness. Mm. I'm aware of my sinfulness, finally. I'm aware of my brokenness. And I believe Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead and all of my hope is given to him. So this isn't just a doctrine for 18-year-olds at camp or me, like a 20-year-old campus crusade convert in the CSU Student Center. If you believe and confess about the lordship of Jesus, whether you're four years old or 94 years old, you will be saved. Mm. That's good. That is good and a good place for us to land today. Listen, uh, if you're looking for Knowing Faith, (laughs) um, if you're looking for Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, uh, or if you're looking for Knowing Faith on the internet, I should say, out there on that web. Those webs. The webs. Those webs. If you're out on the webs, (laughs) if you're on the Twitter uh, and you're looking for us, we're out there Knowing Faith wherever you're on social media. Come find us. Come find us. Are you on Twitter, Kyle? Uh, let's not talk about that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you can also check us out on patreon.com slash knowing faith. If you like this kind of show, you can check out one of our sister podcasts, like the family discipleship podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Grace and peace. <laughs>